You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, thanks for listening. Start of a new week here on the podcast. It's Monday, September the 6th, and whilst we might be entering the season of mellow fruitfulness, you would be forgiven for thinking we were in the middle of sizzling summer. It is 27, 28 degrees Celsius here in TW11 as the mercury rises. The action on the track this week is set to hot up. With the Kazoo St. Ledger Festival at Doncaster, not just about one race, not just about Hurricane Lane, the short price favourite, but about so much more. And if that is a glut of delights, it is matched only by Irish Champions Weekend Saturday and Sunday. We came to the end of Saratoga's meet over the weekend with more excellent performances from Warlike Goddess in the Flower Bowl and Max Player booking his berth to the Breeders' Cup Classic in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Exa Michael Stout trained Zaki continues his relentless ascent in Australia, winning the tramway stakes with his head in his chest for friend of the show, Annabelle Neesham. But we spent much of last week talking about whether Baid would do what Baid was supposed to do in the Prix de Moulin de Longchamp, and he duly won, extending his unbeaten sequence to five. Cornelius Lysett joins me this fine Monday morning. Cornelius, we asked last week whether this was a, a hype horse or whether he was a champion in waiting. Did he answer the question? Not in my view. I, I don't think that he can justifiably be labelled the next great thing uh, after yesterday, nor, to be fair, can he be labelled not the next great thing. It's, it remains too early for the jury to determine either way. It was a really nice performance, especially for such an inexperienced horse. Group one for the first time, the Moulin, one of the marquee mile races of the European flat racing season. Hardly a breeze, had to work for it, had to dig deep, but did under Jim Crowley. I thought that William Haggis's wife, Maureen, summed it up pretty much uh, perfectly, really. She was very positive about the run, looking forward to the future, said it was all part of the learning process. And Jim Crowley was much the same. Um, He's still learning. And I I couldn't agree more. It's clear those around him are, are keeping their feet on the ground because they've seen the next great thing uh, threaten to come and seen uh, some of the next great things that have threatened to come going without ever being great. Um, so uh, the feet are definitely staying on the ground. Look at the form. Um, he's beaten a scrambling Breeders' Cup uh, mile winner order of Australia, which has been beaten by a lot of horses as well by a length and a quarter in a, an OK time. It was in a pretty decent time that Palace Pier and Poetic Flair swept aside that horse at Deauville in the Jacques Lamarwa and at Royal Ascot. The admittedly slightly up and down order of Australia was beaten practically out of sight by Palace Pier. Victor Ladorum, only seventh in the Jacques Lamarwa, uh, won the French Guineas, third in the Prix du Jockey Club last year, only a Group 3 winner in 2021. All that said, though, they were second and third. The British and Irish three-year-olds, the Colts and the Phillies, looked very decent, pretty consistent, and he's seen off Snow Lantern in very good style. She was fourth. So um, I'm not saying that uh, uh, Bide is just a hype horse, uh, but I'm celebrating this, if you like, with a, with a drive for a nice glass of Sauvignon Blanc as opposed to an open-top bus parade 
up New Market's Fordham Road, where William Haggis trains. Uh, as regards the QE2, the Queen Elizabeth II stakes on British Champions Day, 16th of October at Ascot, hoping for nice autumn going. Um, I think I've seen, uh, have you seen the same odds? Nine to four each of two. At the moment, I'm still with uh, Palace Pier. I think he's the more solid shad. I, I maybe was a little more impressed on second viewing. I, I felt that small field, no real cover, tendency to keenness early, stop start gallop. The way he quickened past his field, there was only ever going to be one winner. Yeah. And accepting exactly what you say because we were setting ourselves up for real fireworks. I was quite struck by the fact that Jim Crowley was rather quiet after the race. He was quite measured in his in his praise of the horse, which makes me think he, he believes that's just a base. And if your base is dismissing Group 1 winners in a Group 1 race at the first time of asking while remaining unbeaten, then the potential, therefore, must be enormous. Well, I, I, I think to a large extent that that's my point, that that was, that was another part of the foundations being built and potentially, potentially, the foundations to something really, really impressive. But uh, at the moment, uh, you know, the jury does remain out. It cannot say that this is the next great thing, but it can certainly say it might well be the next uh, great thing. And really looking forward to that clash at uh, Ascot and uh, the British weather during this summer has been indifferent in terms of summer weather. It would be lovely to think it could be just decent autumn weather. So, you know, if it suddenly became very deep ground, I know Jim Crowley was quite relaxed about the thought of the ground at Ascot, but it would just be nice, wouldn't it, to have good ground at Ascot. It would be good for the whole day, obviously, and it would certainly be good for this, a, a really intriguing clash that uh, could end up <laughs> being yet another of the races of the season. It wasn't just about Baid yesterday at Longchamp. Very impressive performance in the Prix de la Rochette from Asa Ali in the silks of uh, Mary Fox Stud, Craig Bennett. Francis Graffard, the winning trainer, is with me now. Francis, good morning. Uh, you pitched her in against the Colts yesterday and, and she came up trumps. What was the thinking behind that? Uh, good morning, Nick. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, the Philly, um uh, yes, it was not an ideal entry because again the cold and she hasn't run for a long time. But uh, we didn't have we didn't have other options for her, so we give it a go and it it paid off. Quite unusual in a sense because you had her out as you say early enough, uh, and then you've had to have a little break. What's been the what's been the story of her season? But she was the goal for with her was to to run in the sixth perfection at the beginning of August uh, on Deauville meeting, um, and I was not very pleased with her last piece of work. And uh, to tell you the truth, I, I think I had like few horses a bit sick. Uh, so my vet said you have to do it with your gut feeling, which is the hardest part of the training uh, uh, job. And uh, my feeling was telling me not to go. So. Craig Bennett uh, supported me and he said, look, if you don't think it's the right thing to do with the CD, we wait. And uh, yesterday we were rewarded with that uh, not, for, not to run in Dovin and having a spot on for, for that race. Uh, you've just neatly articulated a, an extraordinary dilemma for a lot of trainers because you bring in a scientist, you bring in a professional to tell you how a horse is and they then put the ball back in your court and say... Up to you, Francis. Do do what you think yeah. is right. So, yeah, you, you have to work on your instinct and your experience, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, it's always hard 
it's a hardest decision not to run a horse when you have a goal with him, with it, uh, and uh, and you are completely left on your own uh, uh, as a trainer when when you have to make that call, and um, and uh, but uh, I noticed it always worked for me in the sense that uh, uh, I, yeah I got the result at the end and. Uh, so that was that was good, but it's 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 tricky. Exactly, it's always tricky. So you go to the Prix Basel Boussac, which is is on Arc Day. It's the established one mile race for for Phillies Group One in France. You're better positioned than me to give me an idea as to how strong the division is in France. Are there any other good two year old Phillies? Uh, André Fab had an unbeaten Wooten Basset filly called Zélie. She got beaten the other day, but I think. Uh, I think uh, uh, she she should have won uh, at Deauville. So I think that that's the leader of the generation at the moment uh, in France. Apart from that, we have had some nice maiden winner, but uh, nothing really uh, stand out. Uh, the filly I beat yesterday, Zelda, she was highly rega- uh, regarded, but uh, didn't work for her yesterday. So I think it's it's pretty open, uh, but I won't uh, swap my filly to any other in France anyway. And of course, everyone's talking about Baid, and I'm sure you were very impressed with his victory in the Prix de Moulin yesterday. You'll have had a keen eye on that race because the Revenant is the de- defending champ in the, in the QE2 at Ascot, how is he doing and how are you going to plot the campaign towards the QE2 with him? He's in very good shape, thank you. Um, the horse uh, went for a spell as usual and he, uh, in the spring he didn't have his ground. So uh, he ran well, but obviously uh, he got beaten a few times uh, uh, because he's such a ground-dependent horse. Um, I had him ready for the Prix de Quincy at the end of August at uh, Deauville, but uh, the ground was fast, so we didn't go. So the, he's getting ready for the Daniel Woodenstein on Arc weekend. The race he won twice, but um, as you know, and everybody knows, he is very good off on very soft ground. So hopefully he will have this ground, and if all goes well, he will go back to Ascot, but uh, he's really ground-depending. When you look at Baid and Poetic Flair, alcohol-free. Do you think this is a harder group of horses than you've had to face before or not? Uh, of course, of course. Even the Wildenstein will be stronger this year. But uh, last year he beat Palaspear. Uh, no, uh, he probably had uh, excuses, Palaspear. But uh, look, he's uh, six years old gelding. Uh, he has nothing to prove. He's a good soldier, so we will go and we will challenge any other co- contest uh, opponents. But... Uh, but as you say, it's, it's very strong opposition this year, obviously. <laughs> we'll see. Francis Graffard there. We ought to have a word, Cornelius, for completeness about Starman over the weekend, defeated by Emiratiana in the Sprint Cup at Haydock Park. Ed Walker had winners just about everywhere else over the weekend. I'd imagine he'd have traded quite a few of them if Starman could have got that short head back. I, I think you may be right about that. A uh, um, couple, couple of winners at York on the, the, the Sunday fixture as well. He, he said he was, he said, uh, you know, he, it was disappointing. He was disappointed. I, I felt that, you know, if we're, to, as, if we're talking about horses that are building their reputations as we were with Bayard earlier on, um, I think here's another horse that's building its reputation up. I was struck when when the chips were really down entering the the final part of that race on Saturday. I just thought it took Starman 
a, a split second, maybe two split seconds, just to get his show completely on the road at that point. Whereas um, Emirati Anna was was keeping going all, all the way through those closing stages. And, uh, you know, what was that? Was that his eighth race, I think, Starman? Uh, whereas Emirati Anna, it was uh, his 19th race. Uh, and I think experience really told that. Yeah, that's interesting. A point I hadn't considered. I, I, for me, Emirati Anna, just the faster of the horse, pure sprinter. Whereas I think Starman, very high class, beautiful physical specimen, might even be tempted to try him seven furlongs in the foray if they want another dart at a group one in the immediate future. I certainly think it would be worth a try. That's all to come more immediately this weekend. Irish Champions Weekend, more of that in a moment. But first of all, the Kazoo St. Ledger, Cornelius, is it just about Hurricane Lane and Hurricane Lane for Godolphin and Charlie Appleby and William Buick winning by a long way? I, I think what's really interesting is the the form from the Irish Derby. So we're going to have that probably quite uh, interestingly looked at. Hurricane Lane winning that race. Uh, Wordsworth finishing third. Mojo Star in fifth. And I've just got a feeling that I'm, I'm not saying that Mojo Star is going to turn the form around with Hurricane Lane. I've just got a feeling that uh, over a little bit further and given... Uh, a completely clear run. There could be an interesting run from Mojo Star. 3.35, the Kazoo and Ledger, Hurricane Lane and Co. 2.45, the Irish Champion Stakes, the centrepiece of Irish Champions Weekend. You'll be able to see them both if you're in Britain on ITV, so you'll be able to sit and watch everything. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be quite some afternoon sport. You know, we do too, talk too often about the sort of the quarter of the uh, race of the uh, season. That's going to be the hour of the season, isn't it? In many ways, uh, a couple of, uh, of or a number of real big stars in action uh, on either side of the Irish Sea in a, in a relatively short period of time. We, we, we are lucky enough to be living in a European flat racing year where there are plenty of really, um, of really talented contenders in action. And uh, we find some of them in the St. Ledger, some of them obviously in the Irish Champion Stakes, one of the one of the races that absolutely defines the season. And it's shaping up into a wonderful race. Uh, three really big hitters here. Tanawa, the Breeders' Cup turf winner from last year, came back with a really good win. St. Mark's Basilica, who we've not seen since winning the Coral Eclipse, dual classic winner, Dewhurst winner from last season. And Poetic Flair, Jim Bolger has opted for this rather than having gone to the Prix de Moulin uh, the weekend to take on, on Baid. Given optimum conditions, fast ground 10 furlongs, just give the edge to St. Mark's Basilica. But but it would be quite a narrow favouring, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and Tanawa, she hasn't been beaten for, for, for a long time now, running up a, a real good sequence. She's, there's something very likeable about, likeable about her, having been to America, having been to France, having been to, to Cork as well. Lots to, lots to look forward to. And the champagne stakes at uh, Doncaster as well. It does look as though Her Majesty the Queen's Horse Reach for the Moon uh, is um, going to be uh, running there and trying to follow on from that, or the two recent successes. I, w- I was quite struck. I had a telephone call last week, last Wednesday, I think it was, from somebody on the Sun newspaper. And I thought, well, uh, we've got a thing called the Racing League uh, finishing tomorrow, and the Sun is a big supporter of the Racing League. And the chap, it wasn't one of their racing reporters, it was one of their, it was their royal reporter. And he, um, in right at the end of August, beginning of September, was getting hugely excited about the prospect of Reach for the Moon 
uh, playing a big part in the derby next year as part of the platinum celebrations of the of the Queen's reign. And um, although royal correspondents are sort of paid to uh, to report the stuff and begin to get the ball rolling, I thought it was quite striking so far out that uh, somebody from the Sun was ringing up. It was also quite a relief that um, the Sun was ringing up and I hadn't done something awful and been caught doing it. Yes, right. Well, there's no neat segue here, but... Gordon Elliott makes an official return to the race course this week with a, a trainer's license. And in advance of that, he has given Richard Forrestal from the Racing Post quite an extensive interview. In that interview, Cornelius, which is clearly designed to um, apologise in part for his actions earlier in the year, was there anything that caught your eye? Well, um, I suppose the first thing, you know, one thought of it, and I think a lot of people in racing, I think, was... was oh my goodness, he's back already. Um, and I think racing will have mixed feelings. I think I won't be the only racing lover and horse lover who's got mixed, mixed feelings about the whole situation. And, and Gordon Elliott acknowledges that in this article, he's wondering, he tells the Racing Post, how he'll be received when with returning, he expects runners at uh, fixtures at Punchestown and Sligo in Ireland next week. You know, people will look at the penalty, which uh, Richie Forrestal describes as having demonstrated reasonable balance, um, which, uh, again, is something that will be debated, I'm sure, across the the racing sector. Um, uh, Gordon Elliott describes it as a moment of madness. Uh, Richie Forrestal himself has tweeted today he'd like to see uh, Gordon Elliott given a chance uh, to rebuild his reputation. Well, he's done his time, so I'm all with that. I, I think of the whole article, and he's apologetic, uh, he's, uh, he explains his, um, his, his annoyance with himself, uh, his feelings when those good horses left and some of them won at the Cheltenham Festival and elsewhere. I think perhaps the most interesting insight of all was that um, uh, he talks about, uh, I do feel it was malicious, the, the circulation of the photograph of him sitting on the dead horse. Um, and it felt like someone was out to, to get me. Now, I, I, I don't think he necessarily... Uh, came up with those quotes in order to try and gain extra sympathy, but he did. He did say that, putting it into uh, put, put, putting those thoughts into the arena. And you know, there have been plenty of stories about um, Gordon Elliott over recent years um, away from the track. Some true, some plainly not true. Plenty pretty extraordinary. But racing will be looking to a different character. Uh, a, 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 with a very small RO reform character, if you like. And I think that Gordon Elliott hints in that article that that is what he hopes to be able to be. Back to the weekend action now. And it was a very significant day on Saturday afternoon for Newmarket-based trainer Charlie Fellows because not only did he have his first domestic group winner, courtesy of Eve Lodge in the Cyrenia Stakes, but he also announced that the curtain was coming down on the career of Prince of Arran, thrice placed in the Melbourne Cup, an absolute star for the stable, but not allowed to run in the Melbourne Cup this year because Racing Victoria vets weren't quite happy that he would pass their very stringent veterinary checks, though no specific injury was was cited. Prince of Arran's been brilliantly trained by fellows, has also been wonderfully shepherded round the world by Tash Eaton, an integral part of Charlie's operation and Tash joins me now from Newmarket. Tash, Tash, how was Saturday for you? It was a 
mixed emotions, you know, we achieved our first group winner um, on English soil, and then obviously the retirement of our boy Prince of Aaron. Your boy, your boy Prince of Aaron. I, just, just how long? How long have you and he been an item? We have been traveling the world for almost four years, um, and obviously it was only last year, and the year before, I couldn't because obviously, you know, being pregnant and having little and. Um, but I mean, wherever he's gone, what a dude, what a legend. What he's achieved for us is just, it, well, you can't even describe him words because it's just been magical. And for me to be a part and by his side was just incredible. Incredible. But it's stories to tell my child as well. Um, I would dare say it's going to be impossible to, to love a horse like I did with Aaron <laughs> as much as I did because he was like my child. You know, I was back first, first thing this morning after maternity and I've seen him there. He looks so happy. But I'm not sure he's going to enjoy the winter here. <laughs> so when he finds out he's not going again, I think he's going to be a little bit upset. <laughs> we, can, we can see what he's achieved on the track with our eyes that's fine we can understand that he's a tremendously tough and durable horse who can travel the world and take it what we can't really get a handle on is is why why he's been able to do that what what makes him different from other horses who've got the same sort of talent maybe even more talent than him yeah yeah just you know what he just loved the one-on-one attention i would say because he was spoiled And he just, with him, he would just shine this time of year, I thought. And the things that he achieved down under was incredible. To win the Lexus and then to back up three days later and just to get beat in the Melbourne Cup, that is an an incredible achievement. Not, Not just for the horse, but for Charlie, you know? It's just, and the fans he's got. And the people that have been behind him, it just, well, I get emotional thinking about it all the time. And from an experience point of view for you, just to just try and give me a flavour as to the extent to which that whole experience is at complete right angles to anything else you've ever dealt with or done before or since. Oh, of course. I mean, but it's so joyful, you know... You work hard, and the payments like that is just incredible and rewarding. And not only that, but to to take your best friend anywhere, well, it's incredible. And, you know, obviously it's different when, you know, you're taking the horses racing at home than, you know, you're going abroad. There's a lot more detail and, and stuff that goes into that. But for me... It has just been an incredible journey. And, you know, I've got to pay, uh, you know, a lot of respect for Charlie to, you know, allow me to do that and to trust me. And it's just, well, that will just stay in my heart forever. So what's the future for him now? You say he, you sort of half-jokingly said he, he he's not going to be happy when he knows he's not going not going to Melbourne again. Um, yeah. Could a horse like him actually adapt well to, to retiring, do you think? Yeah, yeah, he will. Because that's, you know, his, that, his temperament. You know, horses know when they are having a break and 
you know, being turned out and, and having a holiday. And they would certainly know when, you know, the careers, you know, to an end. And he will, he will absolutely love, because I would dare say Charlie would definitely have a really nice home and mind. So he will love that. And wherever he goes, he will just, people just fall in love with him because that, that's his character. But he will adapt pretty well to it. He always does. It's Tash, it's been great to catch up with you. Um, I'm sorry that you will be without uh, Prince of Aaron, but he, I'm no, I know, will we'll forever have a very special place in your heart and everybody's hearts at, uh, at the stable, where I'm sure the atmosphere is um, is pretty good this morning after that group winner at Kempton at the weekend. Yeah, oh, everyone is buzzing. Everyone's buzzing. <laughs> it's been a great. It was a great weekend. Great weekend for team fellows. Could be a great weekend this weekend for all the members of the Racehorse Club with important runners either side of the Atlantic in Ireland create belief in the Group 1 matron stakes. Uh, and a big runner in Kentucky Downs under the tutelage now of Brendan Walsh, the Learjet, formerly trained by Michael Bell. Uh, owner's racing manager is Freddie Talicki, the uh, former jockey and now Sky Sports pundit, and he joins me now. Freddie, create belief, first of all. She's a, a very good filly. How is she progressing ahead of this weekend, the Royal Ascot winner? Yeah, hi Nick, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, um, this is a filly progressing very, very sweetly throughout the whole year. Johnny's been very bullish on her um, ever since she won the Sandringham. Um, that was obviously our first run of fall racehorse club at the Royal Meeting and it was a winning one and she you know, has impressed us all the way along. She won the Desmond Stake then at Leopardstown, which is a group three over a mile. She did that nicely. Nick, you have to say that she did come on from, from Ascot. She did improve. And now we're asking her, obviously, a very, very big question. Um, it's not going to be easy, but she's ready for this step up in class. She's been working brilliantly well. Her last bit of work was last Saturday morning. Ben Cohn um, rode her again, and everyone has been very happy with her. So, yeah, it's all guns blazing for um, Saturday Leperstown. It's an incredibly open-looking race. Uh, however, what she hasn't done is shown form on ground quite as quick as it's likely to be at the weekend. Is that in any way a worry? It is. Um, I, I suppose, you know, we haven't made um, any secrets about it. Um, she is a filly that likes a bit of juice in the ground. Um, it, it's obvious looking through her form. If the ground does turn out to be uh, firm or if firm is in the description of it, we will not run, I don't think. Uh, Johnny, um, you know, doesn't want to um, jar her up or anything like that. So it has to be good ground or softer than that. I'm hoping now uh, we're getting a bit of rain later on in the week. It's been very dry over in Ireland so far. So, yeah, we are uh, praying for a bit of rain. The Learjet is an interesting uh, import to America, trained by the very uh, talented Brendan Walsh now, and is going to run at Kentucky Downs. Tell me about why you've sent the Learjet to the States. Um, well, we gelded him after his last run here. Um, we just thought it'll benefit him, it'll give him more options, you know, get his mind on the job again. And um, I suppose he ran so well at Keeneland last year when he was a two-year-old in the Breeders' Cup. He's, he will be very, very well suited by American racing. He's got a lot of early speed, Nick. Um, you know, you can pack him up wherever you want in the race. Plus, he will stay a mile around two bends, no problem. So it just opens up more options for him. 
And obviously for Racehorse Club, we want to go global um, with our runners. We want to expand big time. We want to have quality and instead of quantity. And he was just the perfect horse to go out there and try it, you know. Freddie Talicki there, racing manager to the Racehorse Club. Well, as I said at the beginning of the show, it's great to see our old friend Zaki back with a, a real bang in the in the tramway stakes in Australia um, just before the weekend. Annabelle Nisham is with me now. We've spoken on the podcast a few times before, Annabelle, but he keeps getting better and better by the looks of it. Do you think he's come on again? Well, I mean, his, his performance suggests perhaps he has. I had a little bit of a query over the trip. I was actually pretty relaxed going into the race because I... You know, I thought if he doesn't win, it doesn't matter. He's, he's um, you know, his grand finals over 10 furlongs. Um, so the way he put that field away and some of those horses in that field, you know, it wasn't a top top field, but um, some of them, you know, the 1400 was, was their, their ideal trip. So for him to, to put the field away like that, ease down on the line was yeah, quite exciting. And the thing is, you'd already stretched him out. You'd already gone 9, 10, 11 furlongs with him and he, he was coping that quite well as, as some of his pedigree suggests he should but it, I, I love the way Australians train and get the speed back into horses is, is that something that you, you had in your mind from from some way out he had three weeks in the paddock after um, he won his last race um, in Brisbane and then three weeks then ridden from the paddock so basically six weeks of him thinking he was on holiday but he held a fair bit of residual fitness and I think the the beauty with him is he's such a sound horse and he's he's naturally a very fit horse that handles his work well that you don't really need to do a whole lot with him so it probably is easy to to put the speed into his legs um because you haven't got to do too much to get him fit and and it sounds to me from from what you're saying is that what you've found in him is is a real enthusiasm for the job and enthusiasm was probably the one thing that was questioned about this horse in his in his former life yeah well he's like he'd be the he's the most enthusiastic horse in the stable um you know, you've, the rider's always got to have a finger in the neck strap because he, you never know what he might do. He, he'll shy and he might have a buck and a whip around. Um, but I love that about him. And, and um, I just notice, you know, the, the further into his campaigns he's, he gets, um, the fresher he gets. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, I don't think they all adapt like he has. But for whatever reason, he's just very easy to keep happy. And, and by Australian standards, I know his break between June and September, that 84-day break, what, what you'd call a, a spell, that's not actually that long a spell, is it? You know, as you say, you, you're kind of keeping him ticking. Yeah, and that, that was probably my only concern because I was tempted to pull up after the Doobman Cup, which would have enabled him to have a longer break. But, you know, I thought he's, he's well-conditioned. He's, you know, he's used to being up probably for a lot longer um, from from his time in the UK, so um, you know I think that does help you give them shorter breaks, and you know we've now got to just keep them ticking over, and you know the the main challenge is getting them to peak for their grand final. Um, so you know all of these races are a bonus, but really the one race I I'm desperate to win with him is the Cox Plate. So we've still got a couple of races between now and then, um, but hopefully he can he can. You know, be similar to train as last prep. So far, I've found him pretty easy to, to train and easy to read um, because, as I said, he's just he's really easy to keep happy. So he's he hasn't missed a beat since he's got here. Um, and yeah, for that reason, I think he's pretty easy to read. The, the day he doesn't come out with a spring in his step, I'll know he's not quite right. Do you need to run him 
more times before the Cox Plate. Do you have to run him in those two races? I mean, I probably probably don't. Um, no, I, pro- I probably don't need to. Um, and he could perhaps just run the once. But he handles his racing well and... You know, I thought his best run last campaign was the Doombin Cup, which was his fourth up run, um, which is why, you know, I worked backwards with the Cox Plate being fourth up for him this time around. That makes a lot of sense. Is there anything about Mooney Valley and the Cox Plate that you think is particularly going to suit him or that you're particularly concerned about? No, uh, I think I think Mooney Valley is the one I'm most looking forward to getting him to. Um you know, his his win win at um, the Gold Coast. You know that's a tight, quite a tight track, and Doombin's a very tight track as well. So, look, Mooney Valley's tight, um, but it, it's left-handed. But uh, I think you know I've never ran him left-handed because all the racing in Sydney and Brisbane is right-handed. But um, when I look through his form in the UK, he's he's had plenty of success going left-handed, and you possibly argue he's better going that way. So. Um, yeah, for me, I just can't wait to get in there. It tends to suit horses. It's hard, you know, with such a short straight at, at Mooney Valley, it's quite hard to come from back. It doesn't tend to suit back markers. So I think when he gets up over that sort of trip, he's a horse you can ride quite handy. And I just think it'll really suit his racing style. Uh, didn't you have another flying machine a couple of weeks ago that I I saw? I've been a little bit behind the ball. Yeah, I've got a really nice um, colt. Well, he's a stallion now, I suppose. He's a four-year-old. Um, and he, he won the Wink Stakes, which first group one of the season over seven furlongs um and yeah it was pretty exciting he, he beat a good field um very elegant was was behind him in seconds that was a, a really good result for him Mawanga, the horse that Annabelle was referring to there, who lowered the colours of the brilliant, very elegant in the wink stakes. Thanks to Annabelle and great to hear news of Zaki en route to the Cox Plate. Thanks also to Tash Eaton, to Freddie Talitsky and to, at the beginning of the programme, Francis Graffard. Uh, Cornelius is still with me and has a winner for you. I was hoping Ed Walker would have a runner today because uh, the way he's going, uh, that would have been uh, an absolute uh, knocking prospect. But uh, he doesn't have runners today. Um, but I'll tell you who does is um, William Haggis. And at Brighton, I'm not sure how many runners William Haggis would necessarily have at Brighton. When I looked at this horse on the eve of this podcast, it wasn't five to four favourite, but it is now, but I'm going to stick with it. It's called Irish Millions in the 130 at Brighton. And this horse finished fourth on debut in a decent novice race at Yarmouth. That was a promising run. And uh, hopefully uh, he, uh, Irish Millions, can build on that reputation this son of profitable today cornelius thank you very much thank you very much for listening we will see you again tomorrow what a weekend prospect bye-bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary